On the virtual Bible study tonight, we want to look at creeds. It's a it's a common thing in the religious world for different religious organizations to have their own particular creeds. Is that a good thing or not? Let's talk about it. Good question, and uh, it's going to be a good discussion. We're getting started right now. It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, Internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 93- 381-381-4567 or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And we welcome you into the Virtual Bible Study. This is the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, August 25th, 2022. Thank you for joining us tonight. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is here. Hello, Dad. Jacob, great to be with you tonight. Good to be with you. Kyle is behind the controls. Kyle, we're in good hands tonight. Thanks for being here. It's good to be here. And thank you for being on the other end of the line. As usual, we want to hear from you at 931-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. And in the chat window to the bottom or right or somewhere around your video feed tonight, sign in and share your comments with the world in the chat room tonight on this important topic. All right, so uh, we want to talk about the idea of creeds, and we sent out some questions to our update list earlier today. If you're not on our update list, get on it by sending us an email to questions at collegeview.com. Just say, add me to the list. To our update list, we sent out these questions. Number one, what is a creed? What are some examples of famous denominational creeds? Number two, list some things that make classic denominational creeds wrong. I guess we've kind of tipped our hand there. We think they're wrong. (laughs) Why do you think? If you don't think they're wrong, tell us so. If you think they are wrong like we do, explain your reasoning on that. Number three, what do you think are the most powerful New Testament verses that establish God's word as our only standard of authority? Number four, now this is sort of the other side of the coin. Number four, is it wrong to believe something? Is it wrong to write down on paper what you believe? Number uh, And then, is it wrong to use authorized expediencies to teach the Word of God? We'll explain what we mean by that and get some discussion on that. And then, number five, should we feel an obligation to defend whatever our own brethren have written? And so we'll look at that at the end of our study tonight. All right. Again, sign in the chat room or give us a call. We want to hear from you on the program tonight. So let's start out. I think probably everybody understands what we mean when we talk about creeds, but it's always good to define your terms, and we want to define what the term creed is. Creed comes from our word creed, C-R-E-E-D. It comes from the Latin word credo, Mm -hmm. and that actually comes from an earlier Latin root named credere, which means, I believe, credo means I believe. It's its former root meant to trust or believe. And so, uh, you know, is it bad to say I believe something? Not necessarily. But a creed in religious use has come to mean a sort of a statement uh, uh, of what you believe that then becomes sort of an authoritative base for operation. Uh, for instance, Webster's New World Dictionary says... 
that a creed is a brief statement of religious belief, confession of faith, a specific statement of this kind accepted accepted as authoritative by a church. Now, that last part is the key that we want to focus on in our study tonight. It's not just a statement of what you believe, but it becomes accepted as authoritative. And when various denominational groups spell out their creeds, then instead of referencing the Bible to defend what they do, they reference their creed. Our creed says this. Our creed says that. And so it becomes a basis for their uh, they use it as an authoritative basis for operation. All right. And there is, therein is one of the problems, not the only problem yeah. with the creed, but uh, that's one of the problems. Yeah. So uh, that's the definition. And I don't know if we, we've got a couple of emails here. We're looking for more. We've got our email inbox open. Send us an email to questions at collegeview.com. We'll get, it, we'll get your comments on there. Or get in the chat room. we got Brian in California, Dwight in Iowa. Uh, David is in the chat room. Uh, we see Eric in Columbia. Uh, we need more. I see Jeff in the chat room as well. We need more people in the chat room. We need your comments in the chat room. Uh, so right. give us your comments. Dwight in Ames, Iowa says, this is Dwight and Michelle, a creed is one's belief or faith in something, mainly a religion. The scriptures, the word of God is what a true Christian would place their belief in. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, Ephesians 4, verse 5. According to Britannica.com, there are over 150 officially recognized creeds and confessions. That's an interesting number. Catholics, uh, let's see here. Uh, okay, we'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, Art uh, says a, a creed is a con- condensed set of convictions agreed to by a body of believers based on Scripture. Okay. Now, I think, I think what is going to come up, in our discussion pretty quickly is so if you ask me to write down for instance write down what you believe the new testament teaches on the subject of baptism i could write that down and i could reference the scriptures that support what i think the bible teaches on baptism and it would not be wrong to do so uh and so we're not saying, notice Art's definition there, a condensed set of convictions agreed to by a body of believers based on the Scripture. Our beliefs based upon Scripture, you know, that part of that statement, I don't have any problem with that. We should, Our beliefs should be based upon Scripture. But notice the, the, the sort of the modifying phrase there, agreed to by a body of believers. So we're going to put our heads together. And we're gonna. So it's not just what does the Bible teach about baptism, or and writing down what we think the Bible teaches about. We're gonna sort of put our heads together and formulate our own independent uh, view of baptism, and we're gonna say that that sprinkling is an acceptable form of baptism. We're gonna add that into. It. We believe in baptism. We believe that believers should be baptized. And we believe that sprinkling is an acceptable form for believers' baptism. Now, when we and we agree to that, by the way, you know. So you, me, and Kyle, we we form a, a a legislative body for our particular denomination, and we take a vote. Kyle is holding out; he's always kind of obstinate. But you and I, we got a two to three majority here. We voted in. 
we vote in uh, our agreement that sprinkling is an acceptable form of baptism. Then someone says, why do you sprinkle for baptism? Well, because our creeds uh, acknowledges that it's acceptable. See, you see how that sort it, of it a, elevates the creed over scripture, and, and it almost becomes sort of a circular reasoning. Right. You know, you, you saw, you've seen that old cartoon where the guy's holding up a fossil, and he said, "This fossil's ten million years old." And the guy says, "How do you know that fossil's ten million years old?" Well, we know that because it's in this rock that's ten million years old. Well, how do you know that rock's ten million years old? Well, it's because it has this 10 million year old fossil and right. it just becomes a circular form of reasoning and there's no there's no way out of it. And it does. I, I believe it does elevate the creed above scripture. And you notice it sort of shuts the door for any examination of scripture. Now, now the creed is the standard that we go on. We state the things that we believe. We don't focus on necessarily the scripture that backs them up. It's just that's what the creed says. That's what we believe, and uh, it doesn't really. Um, and who are you to question that anyway? Right, it's by the, the creed. Way. Yeah, it's, it's it's and it's been around for a long time. Yep. Some of these denominational creeds have been around for hundreds of years. Who are you to come along now and and challenge that? After all, yeah, and that's the way it. Ha- that's what happens. Right. There's another danger with that, and I think it's uh, something that we would um, we would uh, know in everyday life. Um, you ever have to cut several boards to the same length? Yeah. Do you use the boards that you cut as your standard? So I measure this first one and I cut it. Then I use that one I cut to mark the next one, and I use the next one that I cut to mark the next one. Right. And if I cut five of them, when I get to that fifth one... It won't be the same. It, won't, it will be quite a bit different. And that's the problem with the creed. Even if it states truths according to the scriptures it opens up the possibility for error to be introduced over time and that's a that's a danger yeah exactly right there's some really famous i I, the second part of question one i ask is what are some example of famous denominational creeds uh i i found a list of some well-known ones and what i think to me the one best known on here probably is the westminster confession of faith which dates to 1647 so that's, I mean, what we're we talking about, 375 years ago? So that's an that's a old, long-standing creed. The Augsburg Confession of Faith, uh, 1530. Uh, John Calvin actually endorsed that, and it became uh, the creed of the Lutheran Church, the Augsburg Confession. Uh, there are some others, the Geneva Confession, 1537. Uh uh, again, there's there's some there's some synonymous terms. Sometimes you hear instead of creed, they'll use the word a rule of faith. Uh, it's the same thing. Yep. But notice the idea of it's a rule. It's we, a rule. It's, it, is now, rule. it is now the standard, not the scriptures. It is the standard. Yeah. So I hope we got we hope we got our terms defined there. What a creed is, and some some. Some just some names of some famous creeds that are are still around after hundreds of years, but the big question is the follow up to that. Number two, we ask, list some things that make classic denominational creeds wrong. Uh, where would we start with that, Jacob? I guess we just look at the, at the creeds themselves and and see them. Um, 
you know, one of the, the one of the biggest is the uh, one of the most probably the most well known by from our listeners is the Westminster Confession, uh, and look at all of the discrepancies between the Westminster Confession and what the Scriptures teach, um, and you quickly see that this is not in accordance with what what we read about in the Bible. All right, so so I, I would have to agree with you. I think the the big problem, biggest problem with creeds is that they contradict the scripture. They contradict plain statements of scripture. Westminster Confession of Faith would, for instance, endorse salvation by faith only. Yeah. James two verse twenty four says, "You see then how that by works a man is justified, and not by faith only." So I got the Westminster Confession here saying salvation by faith only. And James 2.24 saying it's not by faith only. What do we do here? Who are we going to side with on that? Well, I think the answer should be obvious, but that's the problem with the creed. The creed was written by men. And the Westminster Confession was written by men, and yet we're stating that as our basis of faith, our basis of fellowship, um, our rule of faith. Why not use the Bible and go to it instead of relying on a man-made creed written by men? Yeah. Uh, so, uh, here's for, go oh, go, go ahead. Go, we'll, go. well, here's what Dwight and Michelle said. The Catholics believe in praying to Mary. Denominationalists believe in saying the sinner's prayer to be saved. Some believe that attendance on Christmas or, and or Easter is all it takes to be pleasing to the Lord. These are man-made creeds. One thing that makes denominationalist creeds wrong is that they are man-made creeds. We have no authority to make or change what has already been given to us, a sinner's prayer, for instance. This is not even in the Bible. What is in the Bible is the steps of salvation, how to maintain our saved condition. Here, believe, can repent, confess, be baptized, remain faithful. We have these instructions in God's Word. Yeah. So um, it is amazing um, that we would feel the need. Uh, in Art's, uh, his his uh, email is rather brief, but he mentions just 2 Timothy 3.16, which states the all-sufficiency of Scripture. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But that is that is the main thing wrong with creeds is that they, they supplant and actually undermine the all-sufficiency of the Scripture. David in the chat room says that creeds are a reader's digest summary. I think that's the way people would, would want it to be. Mm-hmm. But you know, even at that, you think about that. I'm gonna I'm gonna write a Reader's Digest version of the Bible. Who gets to decide what's left in and what's left out? Because if it's a Reader's Digest version, a lot's gonna get left out. Who gets to make that decision? And uh, he also says the Church of Christ is not a democracy. Christ's Church is not a democracy. Christ is the head, and we do what He says. We're not voting on what we like and don't like. Brian in California says, is this how the Jews beca- uh, came to receive the Talmud? Was it the, the Sanhedrin, uh, latter rab- rabbinic, uh, rabbinical uh, meeting over generations that begot human dogma? I would say yes. I'm not an expert on that, Brian, as to how the Talmud came into existence. But the traditions of the Jews were a huge problem. And Jesus was often, con- uh, you know, confronted and accused of violating the traditions and they were holding their traditions on an equivalency with the the scriptures and that is very similar to what we're seeing here in regards to creeds all right uh there's another problem i think with denominational creeds and we can't say this phrase without saying the word denominational is that they are divisive by nature 
they uh, the the idea that I'm going to write what I believe and you agree with me and my writing or you agree with our creed, the three of us get together and agree on a creed and other people have to agree with us and our creed or else they're out, that is divisive in, in, in and of itself. What we need to all agree is, hey, we believe the Bible and we're gonna, we, we agree on what the Bible says and if we'll do that, then we'll be unified rather than we'll make our creed, we'll let another set of folks make their creed and if you don't agree with our creed, then you're you're not part of us. As you described that, you basically described a completely divided situation that has no remedy. Right. If we're doing that, there's no remedy that would lead to unity. Right. All right, let's grab a break, Jake. When we come back, I've got a couple more things I want to add to this list of what's wrong with, with human creeds. All right, we'll take a break, and uh, we'd love your thoughts during the break. Don't go anywhere. We're back right after this. Don't touch that mouse. The virtual Bible study will be back right after this. Here's a quick thought. Your name, O Lord, endures forever. Your fame, O Lord, throughout all generations. For the Lord will judge his people, and he will have compassion on his servants. The fame of the Lord passes through the generations. Do you want his compassion? It's promised to his servants. The question is, will you serve him today? Seize the day. Here's some quotes worth pondering. Time is free, but it's priceless. You can't own it, but you can use it. You can't keep it, but you can spend it. Once you've lost it, you can never get it back. There are only two options regarding commitment. You're either in or you're out. There's no such thing as life in between. You should never imagine that you know too much to learn something new. If a million people say a foolish thing, it's still a foolish thing. We know what a person thinks, not when he tells us what he thinks, but by his actions. Man, wish I'd said that. Use your internet connection for something good. Listen to the virtual Bible study every week. Now, back to the program. We're back on the program tonight as we look at creeds and what's wrong with them. Um, you know, I think probably a lot of our listeners are unfamiliar with how creeds are used in the denominational world. Uh, and uh, a, lot of, uh, a lot of creeds are things that are taught to children and to converts or um, those who want to be uh, in, in, inducted into and a they, denomination. And they actually go through a training session or tested about their their memorization of these elements of the creed. Using, they recite them. Used in their worship services as well. They as recite something. them in worship. Yeah. And so it does. It gets back to the idea of, it now becomes the standard. It becomes something that's elevated above scriptures. Um, and would like our listeners' thoughts on that uh, tonight in the chat room. So, I, again, the, the, the fact that they contradict scripture and the fact that they, instead of scripture, are used as authority for action, the standard, yeah. that, that's clearly what's wrong. It, that you would have to say they're, they're written by uninspired men. You know, when we look to the Bible, we're reading documents that were written by Holy Spirit-inspired men, uh, and we believe that they uh, that they were infallible in what they conveyed by inspiration. But the, the men who write human creeds are not inspired; they are fallible. And so, it, it but when they're taken at an equivalency with Scripture, then they're granted automatic 
sort of infallibility status. Uh, you know, so we're going to talk a little later in the program. Is, is it wrong to write down what you believe? No. But if you write down what you believe, Jacob, and you hand it to me, then I, I should approach that with a skeptical eye. Say, you know, this is what Jacob says, and he might be right, but he might be wrong. And I'll, I'll give it a look-see and consider it with the Bible as the standard that I compare it to. And that doesn't happen with creeds. And and uh, granted, I'm not well studied in all of the various creeds uh, around, but I don't know that I've ever seen one that references Scripture. Now, if you were to write down what the scripture, the Bible teaches about baptism or worship, you would be very diligent to provide scriptural references for almost every statement you made. To so, for them. instance, if I was going to... If I was going to write about baptism and stress that it's immersion in water. Well, then I would go to, the, I, instead of saying the, the Council of 1687 judged that this or that is so about baptism, I wouldn't reference it. I'd go to the Scripture and I'd say, we can prove that Scripture is an immersion in water by studying the case of the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts 8 and, and, no. and reference that narrative or uh, in... Romans chapter 6, verses 4 through 6, where Paul calls it a burial. Right. You know, uh, Colossians 2.12. So we, we would establish it. In other words, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write down that I believe baptism is an immersion in water, but I'm going to establish that truth by referencing Scripture itself. You would not get a class of, uh, of teenagers together and just say, we believe baptism is immersion, and then they repeat it back, we believe baptism is immersion. You'd be very diligent to reference Scripture, cite Scripture for what you're, what you're stating. Exactly right. You know, a, a, another thing that I think is wrong with human creeds is that they actually impeach the wisdom uh, of God and the infallibility of his word. Why do we need a creed? What 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 necessitates a creed? Yeah. You know, if if we would be like the first Christians in Acts chapter two, on the day of Pentecost when they obeyed the gospel, it says verse forty one: They that gladly received his word were baptized. The same day were added to them about three thousand souls, and they continued steadfastly in the Westminster Creed. No. The Augsburg Creed. No, they continued steadfastly in the Apostles' Doctrine and Fellowship, breaking of bread and in prayers. So, you know, if if we if we're gonna why why would we need more than that? Why would we need more than what the first Christians had? Uh, it it is it, it is an indictment, whether you want to admit it or not. You're indicting the Word of God as not being sufficient when you think that you have to have an authoritative secondary. Human creed. We had no reference of that in the New Testament. We don't see them uh, in Ephesus putting together the creed and expecting all of the churches in that region to follow, uh, subscribe to the creed. It wasn't a part of the New Testament church. It's not required. Yeah. We're told what we need in the scriptures. You know, one of the things that shows the fallibility of human creeds, Jacob, is that they constantly are being revised. You know, the the, the so-called mainline denominations have, they have conferences and committees meeting on, on a, a practically continual basis and they're and they're taking votes and they're making alterations to their creed uh, here, here's the i think a lot of our listeners no doubt have heard of the nicene creed it was originally written in 325 a.d i mean that's way back there mm-hmm. 
Do you know that they revised the Nicene Creed in the 6th, 8th, and 11th centuries? If it's, if it's a, a valuable, authoritative source for our religious conduct, why would we need to modify it or alter it? Why, even today, why would we need to meet in conference and committee to take votes on elements of the creed? You know, the, the, the big hot-button thing that's been debated in denominational conventions in recent years is homosexuality. Why do we have to, why do we have to meet on that? Why would we want to alter the church's position on homosexuality where the Bible is still saying the same thing it always said on that? Yeah. Uh, 931-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. You know, I'm thinking about maybe some type of important correspondence um, that you're you're getting. Um, you know, maybe it's maybe it's from um, maybe it's from your wife. She's got some important instructions for you, and uh, so she writes you the letter, and uh, the kids get a hold of it and read it, and they just say, "Hey, Dad, Mom said X Y Z." You know, this is an important letter. It's got very important. She's she's going to be away from the home for a couple weeks. She's got important instructions. She's written them down. And the kids read them and interpret it and just state it back to you. Are you going to settle for that? No, you're going to say, no, I want to see what was in the document. Let me see the original. Let me document. see the original. I don't want your take on it, yeah. your summarization. Mom I want said to we could have candy for supper right. every night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I want to know what 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 is what what do you need to do here to keep this thing going. Yeah, yeah and so yeah, uh, the, the, this is uh, this is foolish and unnecessary. Um, how about the Apostles' Creed? That's a that's one that's famous. It's ironic because it wasn't the apostles who made it. Yeah. But what does that date to? I think I I don't know if I had that on my list. Yeah, it's um, let's see here. It's uh, sixth or seventh century, it looks like. Yeah, yeah. Apostles' Creed came along six or seven hundred years after after the, the apostles, but yeah. it was ascribed to them. I'm not sure they're going to be happy with that. Um, here's what it says: I believe in God, the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. I mean, these things are not objectionable in themselves. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church. Now that, in that reference, is the universal church. The communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the everlast- life everlasting. Amen. I don't know that you'd find anything in that you would object to and say, well, that's not scriptural. But what's the purpose of that? Why do we need that? Yeah. It, because because it it is not an a, a complete picture of what the scriptures teach. It doesn't teach. I mean, it's not everything the scriptures teach. It's not everything the scriptures teach on any of those subjects. Yeah. And now you have to agree with that rather than the Bible. You have to agree with me or whoever summarized that rather than the Bible. And it just opens yourself up to all kinds of problems. You know. Uh, I remember since I was a kid hearing preachers say, if it's more than the Bible, it's too much. If it's less than the Bible, it's not enough. If it's the same as the Bible, we already got that. Yeah. So right. that that reasoning eliminates creeds. Yeah, right. Absolutely. All right. Nine, three, one, three, eight, one, four, five. I got six, one seven. more thing before we go to a break. I got one more thing that I'm thinking is wrong with denominational creeds. That's that was our question. What? What are the things that make classic denominational creeds wrong? Here's a big one, Jacob. 
those creeds are not going to be used as the standard of judgment in eternity. You know, I'm not going to be able to go before the Lord in judgment and and say, well, now, I did this, and I did it because the Augsburg Confession taught me so, or the Westminster Confession taught me so. They're not, they're not going to be authoritative in judgment. Therefore, they should not be authoritative in life. There you go. Amen to that. And Art, in his email, references 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17. All sufficiency of the Scriptures. All sufficiency. And uh, we have all that we need. Why would we need anything else? We would not need the creeds. Um, Dwight and Michelle in the chat room uh, say Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Brian in California says the Bible is its best commentary. I believe that, Brian. I think you're right about that. I don't need any denominational creeds to help delineate the the things authorized in Scripture. Now, again, I really want to get to this part of our discussion. Is it wrong? Would it be wrong for me to write a commentary about the book of Romans, for instance? Lots of people have. Is it, is it necessarily wrong to write down what you think the Bible teaches on a given subject or what a or or, or to give your comments on on a a book of, of of the New Testament or whatever? We're going to talk about that when we continue. All right. You might want to send your comments in the chat room on that. What about that? Can we write down anything about what we believe? How about those bulletin articles? Are those those wrong? Um, let's hear your thoughts on that. We'll get this week's bullet point and get your thoughts on the other side. Don't go anywhere. We're back right after this. You won't want to miss what we talk about next. The discussion continues right after these important messages. I am Nestor Sanchez from Arica, Chile, and South America. And I love to listen to the virtual Bible study. And this moment, I invite you to participate in this program, too. Gracias. This is Greg Wynn with this week's bullet point. The inspired scriptures warn us about holding too high of an opinion of oneself. Note, in Romans 12, verse 3, it says... For this I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. With this warning in mind, a few observations seem appropriate. First, there's been much emphasis in recent years on the need to elevate self-esteem. It is claimed that a variety of personal issues ranging from abusive relationships to weight problems are all linked to low self-esteem. Fix this and many of the problems will go away, or so we're being told. Yet God's word indicates just the opposite that man's problems are most often associated with thinking too highly of himself. While admitting that there are some cases of unnatural and destructively low self-esteem, it appears clear that the real danger for most of us is in an already too high opinion of self. In fact, all the warnings of God's word are about the danger of high self-esteem, not low self-esteem. Address this problem and many of our other issues will melt away. Secondly, too high self-esteem is manifested in a compulsive attention to me. When we think too highly of self, we are constantly worried about my needs are not being met, my interests, my concerns, my opinions aren't being attended to like I think they should be, and so forth. Selfishness is the root of many problems, and the modern self-esteem movement has amplified this significantly. And third, high self-esteem prevents us from developing the humble heart of a servant that God so much desires in us. Our Lord said, quote, Whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Matthew 20, verses 26 and 27. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. A streaming Bible study. 
Why didn't I think of that? Now back to the guys. Back on the program tonight. Well, reminding you, this program is brought to you by the College of Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Find out more at thevirtualbiblestudy.com. You know, I don't like to read, Kyle. I'd rather listen to something or watch it. Can you help me out with that? Yeah, which uh, we have, of course, and uh, which we use the Bible only in our classes, in our sermons. So uh, feel free to tune in. We have a lot of Bible classes. We were doing a really good study on Wednesday nights, uh, Bible Old Testament characters, and just studied a lot. And it's a really good study. You mean yeah. you will not, if you watch those videos, you will not hear references no. to creeds? I, uh, I hope that you would <laughs> creed, please creed. call and come in if you hear us take G from anything else besides okay. the Bible. No creeds, none of the time, huh? Uh, that's right. All right. Eric is in the chat room. He says people can write whatever they want, but Galatians 1 verse 8 is there. Yeah, which talks about. So hang on to that, Eric, because that's the next question I wanted to ask. And Eric's got us leading into that. What are the what do you think are the most powerful New Testament verses that establish God's word as our only standard of authority? And I want to really stress that the word of God, the New Testament, in this current age, the New Testament specifically, God's word is our only standard of authority. Kyle, I mean, uh, Eric has has suggested a perfect one. There's tons of them, actually, but. The one that Eric mentions, Galatians 1, verse 8, Paul says, Though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let it be accursed. If it's different than this, Paul says, let that such a person be accursed. I think exactly right, Eric. Um, Dwight and Michelle in the chat room said, Even the apostles' teachings were not their own. They were inspired by God. That's exactly. an excellent point. Exactly. All right. Uh, uh, let's go to, uh, if we got any other, let's see. Uh, uh, I, I was just seeing if any of our emailers had oh, anything yeah. else to add there. Uh, okay. Uh, I like, I have become more and more committed to Jude, the third verse of Jude, as being a real statement of the all sufficiency of the scripture. Dwight and Michelle referenced that in their email as well. Yeah. Uh, the King James says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered to the saints. Newer translations are going to add just a little bit more terminology there that actually clarifies the the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. So when, when the New Testament documents were inspired and when inspired men wrote them down, it was a finished work. It was a once-for-all-time delivering of God's truth to mankind. It's not an ongoing process. There's not going to be additional revelations, uh, and, and it needs to be treated as such. That's a pertinent uh, verse and a concept for the discussion of creeds. It's also pertinent for the idea of latter-day revelations uh, or that we need some type of guidance from God that is extra-biblical. Uh, all of those things do impl- implicate the scriptures as being insufficient and that we've got to have more. But the scriptures themselves talk about the fact that they are su- sufficient. Dwight and Michelle reference Ephesians 4, verse 5, Jude, verse 3. 2 Peter 1, verse 3, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and virtue. And uh, And so we see that the scriptures talk about the fact that they're complete. John 8, verses 31 and 32, um, 
and uh, he, Jesus was saying to those who uh, Jews who had believed him, if you continue my word, then you are my, truly my disciples, uh, and you will know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. You'll know the truth. Not the, you, you won't know your denomination's creed. You will know the truth to make you free. Yeah. First Corinthians chapter 13 talks about the, the perfect or complete coming. And uh, J- uh, James chapter 2 talks about that perfect and complete thing being God's word. Um, here's, we here's have one. all that we need. Revelation chapter 22. Revelation 22, verse 18. For I testify to every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. I think that statement is about the book of Revelation specifically, but I believe the concept or principle is applicable to all the inspired word. Don't go messing with God's word is uh, the message there. We need to make sure that we don't we don't go and corrupt it. Don't add to it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was going to say, I've got a list here that might have some additional things we want to add into that. Second Thessalonians 2.15, Paul talked about how the, 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 the folks in Thessalonica had received what, they, uh, what was written by him. Uh, no, I'm thinking about 1 Thessalonians 2, uh, verse 13. 1 uh, Thessalonians 2.13 Paul says, for this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when he received the word of God which he heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. When these inspired writers were writing, they weren't writing down their own think-sos. They were, they, he says, it's not the word of men, it is the word of God. These authors of human creeds could not say the same thing. They would have to say, we're telling you what we think. Now, it may be what we think about various Bible topics, but we're telling you what we think. Paul said what we wrote as inspired men, we were not writing what we think we were writing the Word of God. And it does, and it's not something that is so complicated that we have to have somebody boil it down to a creed for me. You know, this is all so complicated. I, I need, some, I need a, a group of men, a council somewhere to agree on some statements that I can understand in my own feeble mind, because the scriptures are just too complicated, too difficult. In Ephesians chapter 3, Paul is talking about a specific subset of what the Bible, uh, what was revealed to him in the, uh, that is uh, preserved for us in the Word of God. But the pr- principle is, uh, is general here. He says, How that my revelation he may known unto me the mystery, as I wrote before in few words, whereby when you read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. He said, when you read the Bible, you can understand what God wants you to understand. He didn't say, you know what, I wrote this down. It's complicated. You're going to have to have guys with a bunch of letters after their names that dress up in funny uniforms to sit in a room for several months and figure this out. And then they'll put it down in a a simple one-page document that you can recite on Sunday morning, and then you'll have a pretty clear picture of what God wants from you. No. He said, when you read the Bible, you can understand it. Yeah. And I do think, don't you think that that probably... I don't know. There may have been all kinds of motives that led men to write their creeds, but don't you think that a lot of it was on the idea that we got to dumb it down? Maybe. We we, we got to make it simpler for the for the average person. You know, we we are the intellectually elites here. We can we can we can handle the whole Bible. 
but but these masses of people, they're, they're uneducated and they're very simple-minded, and we're going to have to get it, we're going to have to pare it down to their level. Uh, there's a sort of an arrogance to all of that. Could be. I think maybe some of it is they just tried to get people to, well, if we'll agree on this, then we'll have unity, but it's a fake unity. It's not the unity of God's Word. We've got, we need to agree on what the Scriptures teach, not what some men have written to put together. Let me throw in one more here uh, in, in regards to the, the, the Scripture being all-sufficient and the danger of trying to add to it. Second John, beginning verse 9, Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and Son. So newer versions say, whosoever goeth onward and abides not in the doctrine of Christ uh, hath not God. So if it's if it's anything more or different from the Scripture, then I am condemned uh, in that process. Yes, absolutely. How about this? Brian's got a good point in the chat room. He says, perhaps there is a touch of vanity when associating oneself to a creed. First Corinthians mentions how they boasted of Paul, Cephas, Apollos. Men want to distinguish themselves when, when humiliation is lacking. When humility, yeah. yeah when humility. Or, sorry, humility is lacking. Yeah, uh, I think there's, there's some of that, too. Uh, well, our creed's better than your creed. I, I ascribe to the creed that was written by all these smart people. I, I believe in the same creed that John Calvin believed yeah. in. Right. You know, so there's sort of an arrogance associated with that. Yeah. Maybe lack of humility. I think you might be right on that. Maybe Brian. not lack. Of, maybe not even. A, maybe it's not arrogance. It's just a, a, a elevating men yeah. to a position that they don't deserve. Right. Okay, let's grab our last break because I want to have enough time to talk about this this last concept. Is it wrong to believe something? Is it wrong to write down what you believe? Uh, is it is it wrong to use expedient things like? Bible class literature or uh, a, a Bible commentary when I'm studying a particular book of the Scripture. Uh, Let's go to that when we come back. Nobody's signed into the chat room yet. What do you think? Can we write down what we believe? Can we write an article? Can we write a sermon? Can we write a book? Let us know your thoughts. We're back right after this. Did you hear what they just said? Call in during this break and let everyone know what you think. The virtual Bible study continues after this announcement. My name is Roger Toombs, and me and my wife love to listen to the virtual Bible study on Thursday nights. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. The American Academy of Pediatrics published a policy statement in 2018 which recommends that parents refrain from using any type of physical punishment with children, including spanking. But a survey of parents found that 81% still support spanking children. That information is via verywellfamily.com. The Word of God says in Proverbs 13, verse 24, He who spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is careful to discipline him. Broadcasting around the world with truths that are out of this world. The virtual Bible study. Take it away, guys. We're going to the top of the hour as we look at creeds and the problems with them. You ask the question, is it wrong to believe something, to write down on paper what you believe, to use authorized expedience to teach the Word of God, to that art? Very succinctly responded, no. What are your thoughts? Let us know your thoughts in the chat room tonight. Can I write down something? Is it wrong to believe it, to write it down on paper, uh, to use maybe some of those things to teach others? Let us know your thoughts. Okay, so Jesus said, uh, 
Matthew 10, 32. So here we're dealing with this question. I think it's really an important one. Is it wrong to believe something? Is it wrong to write down what you believe? So here I want to build my argument in Matthew chapter 10, beginning verse 32. Jesus said, Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. Okay, so I'm going to say very positively, I believe Jesus Christ to be the only begotten Son of God. Well, I'm supposed to make such a confession. Romans 10, verse 10 talks about making such a confession with mouth. With the heart man believeth unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So a verbal confession. Could I write that exact same thing down on a piece of paper and hand it to you? Maybe we're in a library where we're not supposed to be talking out loud. So I write down on a piece of paper, I believe that Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son of God, and I hand you that piece of paper. Is that wrong? Have I have, have I just constituted a creed when I do that? I don't think so. I think that is I think that's a form of confessing Jesus that is altogether appropriate. Right. There wouldn't be anything wrong with that. Okay. So, uh, in fact, I might also go on to add to that that thing that I'm going to hand that written thing. I'm going to, I might write down the reasons why I believe that Jesus is the only begotten Son of God. I might write on there, for instance, I believe Jesus is the only begotten Son of God because of fulfilled prophecy, including Isaiah's prophecy about a virgin giving birth. Uh, uh, I, I believe Jesus is the only begotten Son of God, and I believe that because of the resurrection from the dead. I believe Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son of God because of the miracles that he wrote, or worked, rather. So I, I write that down and I hand it to you. Have I done something wrong in that? I think not. I, I, I think that's just a way of expressing what uh, actually it's a form of teaching. I'm trying to teach you that Jesus is the only begotten Son of God. And I'm giving you the reasons that the scriptures state that we ought to believe that. I am not legislating some view on that. I'm not trying to write an authoritative document that people could later reference and say, Jesus is the only begotten Son of God because in 2022, this this man in Columbia, Tennessee, wrote a document saying so. Uh, there's, this, there's a big difference there. And you're not taking that document saying, hey, listen, if you'll sign the bottom of this page, we can have fellowship with each other. We'll, we'll, be, in, we'll be in fellowship if you'll sign what I wrote here. Yeah. You're saying if you agree with this, we can have fellowship. Oh, that's a good point, Jacob. So... No, that's what happens with these creeds, right? Yeah. So, if let's say it's the Westminster Confession. If you will agree to what's stated in the Westminster Confession, and I will agree to what's stated in the Westminster Confession, then we can have fellowship based upon our agreement about the Westminster Confession. Yeah. Our fellowship ought to be based upon agreement uh, on the inspired Word of God. So, very much so, these denominational creeds are used as the as the test or the standard by which people have fellowship with one another, and that's erroneous. Yeah, and it's a problem, and it, and it happens today. There are preachers who might write certain things who their works and their statements are elevated to that level where people begin aligning with the preacher, and you've got a, a question about that here. But 
when that is the case, well, I agree with Brother Johnson and Brother Johnson's book. If you agree with Brother Johnson, well, then, then we can have fellowship if we agree with Brother Johnson. No, that's, that's the equivalent of what the creeds are doing here. Yeah. And I think that's a, that's the danger you got to be on guard about because uh, uh, my illustration was oversimplified, but but so what if I write so so you know in, in my opinion one of the if not the hardest book in the New Testament to understand is the book of Romans. Romans is a tough book, and so I'm going to undertake to write a commentary on the book of Romans. That's okay, and you could read what I what I wrote about, right? And it might if it might help you see something about the book that you hadn't seen before, or some, understand something you haven't understood before. But what we got to be real careful about is saying, here's what the Book of Romans says, because Greg wrote a commentary on it, and and it's, it serves as our authoritative understanding of the Book of Romans. Yeah. Oh, if if it's a if it's a help, if it's just something that's intended as an expediency or something to assist in study, then that's okay as long as it's remembered and understood that a fallible man wrote that thing. Yeah. And it's not authoritative. It's not. Now it can help, just like it might help in a Bible class for you to say, you know, John, what do you think about what this verse means? And John has a point. You know, that's a good point. I think that that that, that makes sense. That fits. But you're not saying, John, you're the authority here, and yeah. we're going to follow what you teach. Yeah, I remember one time I, I had made a, a, a point, uh, I think maybe in a bulletin article, uh, where I was critical of people who quote Scripture in prayer. You know, every once in a while a brother in public prayer will actually quote a phrase or a verse of Scripture. And, I, and in this bulletin article, I had I had said, I don't I don't think that's good. I mean, God already knows what he wrote. We don't need to be quoting it back to him, you know. And, and I thought I had made a good point on that. Uh, a, a brother answered me and said, you know, there's another way to look at that. When we, If, if we were to recite a, a, a scriptural phrase in our prayer, it'd be sort of like me saying to you, Jacob, I've never forgotten what you said when you told me that, you know. And so actually it wouldn't be, I wouldn't be insulting you. I'd actually be commending you for having said that. And I always remember that you said that. And and he said that, that could be the way it is in prayer. If, we, if we're quoting scripture to God, we, we're basically saying, God, we remember what you taught us when you said. And that's a good thing. And so, you know. I was helped by my point in all that is that I was helped by that brother making that response to my to my article. Uh, and so, yes, when we interact at, at, in that way, we actually help one another's understanding of what our understanding of the Bible, exactly. not our understanding of some human creed, but our understanding of the Bible. Here's what Dwight and Michelle said in their email. It is not wrong to believe something as long as it is truth. If you believe a falsehood, you are doing yourself and others a great injustice. Believing something false can bring disastrous results. I write many articles, my articles as well as my articles as well as many as I read are based on biblical facts. Now, if I write down my own beliefs and not what God teaches, then yes, it is wrong. It would be best for me as well as my readers 
to put only uh, to put only tr- out only truth. I will give an account for any man-made creeds I write and practice. An authorized expedient would be something like a songbook. The songbook helps us to fulfill the command to sing and to make melody in the to the Lord, and also do things decently in order. An overhead PowerPoint would be in the same category. Okay, here's 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 I, I think Dwight will allow this to make an observation. What he said. So a songbook, a songbook can be an, a valuable expediency to our singing, but with all human expediencies, remember they were written by men. And almost all of our songbooks have unscriptural songs in them. Yeah. And, and we can't just assume, well, it's in the songbook. It's got to be okay because it's, it was published in the songbook. No, maybe not. And the fact of the matter is def, definitely not. Uh, and the same would be true of Bible class literature, for instance. Uh, it can be helpful, uh, and, and, we, and we use them, especially when we're teaching young children and so forth. But be careful some human being put that together. It's not infallible. Right. Same thing would be true of, of a commentary. Maybe you've got a, a, a very scholarly commentary. I was talking about the book of Romans a minute ago. One of the most scholarly commentaries on the book of Romans was written by Moses Laird. Some people said you've got to have the book of Romans to serve as a commentary on what Laird wrote. His is so in depth and so his his commentary is probably more difficult to understand than the book of Romans itself is. Uh, but remember, it's it's long, it, when if it's been produced by a human hand without the inspiration of God, then it, it has to be taken in that understanding. And that's what we that's what's wrong with creeds. They're they they are elevated to a status where they are unquestioned and that's wrong. All right. We have time for your comments. Send them in the chat room here quickly tonight before we conclude. Okay. So here's uh, the last thing that we ask is should we feel an obligation to defend what our own brethren have written? Uh uh, of course, th- th- there's sort of a wide gamut of things there, Jacob. It might just be a, a bulletin article, or it might be a a, a, a lesson in a class book, a, an outline, or something. Uh, are we obligated? Our brethren have, have, have taught that. Our brethren taught that. Old brother so and so. I knew him since I was a child. That's what he said. That's he wrote that article. It's got to be good because he wrote it. No, I, I mean that, that's the problem. We cannot put that kind of confidence in uninspired men at any level. Be it somebody, maybe the the people who wrote the the Nicene Creed in 325. What would that be, man? Approaching 2,000 years ago, they wrote that. It's been around ever since. No, they were fallible men. You know, the people who wrote the Westminster Confession or the Augsburg Confession, they were all fallible men. And 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 anything produced by if by fallible, uninspired men has to be taken uh, with that in consideration. Dwight Michelle said there was a class book that taught to remember and to keep the Sabbath day holy. We did not use that, he said. Yeah. So anything written by men has to be viewed that way and has to be checked and cross-checked against the authority, God's word. What is written by men can help me understand God's word, but it is not the authority. God's word is the authority. It all has to come back to that. Yeah. Um, Somebody suggested that uh, 
what the the people who who use and hold to human creeds, what they need to do is what the people in Ephesus did in Acts chapter 19, uh, Acts 19, verse 18. Many that believed came, confessed, and showed their deeds. Many of them also, which used curious arts, brought their books together and burned them before all men. And they counted the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. So uh, burn things men wrote, and the word will prevail. Uh, I'm not saying, you know, I mean, I've got several hundred books over in the next room over here, and I'm not saying that all the books need to be burned, but they all need to be taken with considerably less, cre- here's the word, credence. Yeah. <laughs> they need to be taken with less credence. In other words, I don't believe in them even close to what I believe in the Bible. You, well, you're talking about reading them with a critical eye, right? You're, yeah. you're, you're not just taking them as the gospel truth. You're, you're going to check that out, Kyle, when we're studying. We're well, yeah, gonna... If you use the Bible as your, that is your guide, you know, which I, can, I know I just got reminded of, you know, uh, scribes from Jewish scribes used, it was extremely meticulous that they would use, they would actually count the characters in the lines to make sure that they get every single you know word correctly as they scribe the from you know the scrolls. So it's like we need to make sure that we're using the exact copy of our Bibles for whatever we're using it against. You know, we just that is the basis for our comparison for anything. You asked the question: Should we feel an obligation to defend what our own brethren have written? Art says only if it is in compliance with sound biblical doctrine. And Dwight and Michelle uh, write in, if I have written something and it is the truth and it is according to God's word and then someone challenged it, I would think that my brethren would be behind the things I wrote. Example, if I taught on one need to be baptized in order to be saved, I would hope others would back up the words written in my article with God's very own truth and give book, chapter, and verse. Don't back up another's writing just because they are Christian. Back up anything taught or written with God's word. I think that's right, Dwight. In other words... So Dwight writes on baptism that you need to be baptized in order to be saved. And I'm going to I'm going to say I agree with what Dwight wrote. But I agree with that not because I know Dwight and he's a friend of mine. I I agree with that because the Bible says so. There you go. All right. Good discussion tonight. Important discussion. It is dangerous for the reasons that we've noted tonight. We encourage your thoughts at any time. If you agree, if you disagree, if you've got questions. Send that into questions at collegeu.com. Final thoughts from you tonight, oh, Kyle. That's a good study. That's a good job. Thank you for helping us get it out tonight. Yeah, thank you for your time. Enjoy. Thanks, Jacob. Thank you for listening. I hope you benefited from our study and discussion of God's Word. hope you make plans to be back this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word of the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.